Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, if you would turn to Genesis chapter 4. While you're turning there, maybe we'll just have a, another word of prayer. Father, we do um, want to thank you again for the privilege of allowing us to be here this morning, for the freedom we have to be able to read the Word of God, to see these truths from your Word, and to realize um, that you love us so much that you gave your Son for us. Help us as we read your Word to glean something from it today that we might be fruitful for you. And Lord, perhaps there's someone here that doesn't know you. Lord, that uh, today would be the day that uh, they might turn to you, we pray. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're going to be going through um, the account in Genesis chapter 4. And uh, so if you're there now, we're going to back up a little bit. Remember, I think it was Dave that spoke in Genesis 3 about the fall of man. And we want to pick up a little bit of the background there. So we're just going to pick it up from maybe verse 21 of Genesis 3. Remember, after the fall, of course, there was the promise given in verse 15 that um, he says, And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So there's a promise of the Messiah to come. And then we see in verse 21 what happens. It says, And unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. And um, just for sake of time, we see um, then he places them out of the garden. Really, this is his love to do this. Therefore, the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword, which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Chapter four. And Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she again bare his brother Abel and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the first things of the flock and the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering, but unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thou countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shall thou not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and you shall rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother. And it came to pass when uh, they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel his brother and slew him. And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, what have, you, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Well, here's the account of the first two children in the Bible. And it's a very sad story, isn't it? When you start thinking about it and you start reading the account, how can someone coming from they were, they were made perfect, Adam and Eve, right? They started off perfect. How did they go so far from that to actually even commit murder? It's really sad, isn't it? 
Now, it starts off very good. The first part in this, it says, Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bare Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. That's what the word Cain means. It means acquired. And I think the thought here is, I think Eve is looking at this. Here's the one. Here's the Messiah. Here's the one who's going to save us. God's given him to me. The promise that he talked about. Yeah, I had to suffer through this childbearing process, but here he is. Well, sad to say this would-be Messiah actually ends up being, what, a murderer. We talk about... uh, Parents' hearts being broken, eh? I mean, you think of that. We all have, you know, great uh, things that we hope our kids will do. You know, you have all these thoughts, you know, they're going to be great this and great that. And I'm sure they were no different. I'm sure she was just thinking of the time when he would do all this for them. And he ends up actually killing his brother. Now, what was their relationship like? I'm talking about Cain and Abel. Um, you know, did they fight much growing up? Um, how big of an age gap was there? Some have taken from verse 1 there because it goes right into it and she again bear that they were probably twins. I don't think you can really read that into the text. But I think there was probably wasn't much of an age gap anyway between them. Um, well, we can only speculate on these things. But what do we know about Cain? What do we see in here? Well, it tells us in verse 3 that he's a farmer. He's a hard-working farmer. And it appears that he really enjoys farming because part of the process afterwards, remember, God puts him out and doesn't allow him really to do this. We also notice that he's not an atheist. He believes in God. You know what? Most people in this world that we're around say they believe in God. You know that? Most people do. And actually, you know, the the word that's given, you know, in Psalm 14, verse 1, it says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Actually, the real translation of that is, The fool has said in his heart, no God for me. You see, because God says he, he actually puts it into all our hearts, who he is. He works in our heart. He tells us, I'm really real. And you have to actually physically go, like, I don't want it. I don't want to hear it. And of course, he calls us, if we do that, a fool. And I I think I've told this story before, but you remember when I went to the Olympics there and there was an awful lot of agnostics or atheists. Actually, they claimed to be atheists there. I said out of all the people I talked to, more than 25% of the people I met there were agnostic or atheistic. And I remember one guy in particular, they had a booth set up there and it was, um, the booth was about... um, how the Twin Towers and how it was all, you know, actually it was the American government that did all this. And it was, you know, this conspiracy theory thing. And uh, they had this whole thing set up. And one of the guys who was talking to me was an engineer. And so he started talking and, like, he just didn't stop. He went on for 10 minutes explaining, well, because of this, because of this, because of this. You know, that, that, you know, and finally, you know, he came up for air there. And I said, well, can I ask you a question? And he said, yeah, go ahead. And I said, uh, what would have happened if you were in the building? And he looked at me for a moment. <laughs> well, I, I would have died. I said, yeah, but then what would have happened to you? And then he go, oh, you, you mean God? And then, well, no, I don't believe in God. I said, really? And he said, you know, I said, but you told me you were, you were an engineer and you study these things and you've been showing me all this evidence to try and 
you know, persuade me that your point is real, right? Because you're trying, I said, no. And I, I sort of said to him, well, what about that building over there? If I said to you, you know, that building just sort of made itself, some glass came together and some other stuff and formed that building, would you say that's kind of crazy? And he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, would you say that the building itself would dictate that someone created the building? And he said, well, yeah, but, you know, God didn't make us. He went right into God. And I said, well, no, I didn't say that. And I said, you know, like if I look at a painting, the painting itself tells me somebody painted the painting, doesn't it? And he said, well, yes, but I don't believe in God. And I said, no, if I gave you a book, and, you know, like meanwhile, he's... Because I'm talking to him there, he really had no option. He didn't really want to talk to me, I'll tell you that, okay? But um, I said to him, now, if I gave you a book that could, you know, just hypothetically, could prove to you that God really is real, I said, would you read it? You know what he said? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> I said, well, you know, you've, you just said what the Bible said. He said, what's that? I said, well, actually, the Bible, it calls you an ignoramus. And he said to me, oh, you yeah. And I said, the idea being that you're willingly ignorant. You say, don't confuse me with the facts. I don't want to know. Why? Because the heart of man is wicked. It's in rebellion to God. So we see here that he wasn't like that. He was not an atheist. He believed in God. We also see that actually he's the first man in recorded history to bring an offering to God. Problem is, though, he brings the wrong one, doesn't he? You know, he probably brought the very best from the sin-cursed earth, right, to God. He brings this offering. But, you know, uh, do you remember the song that Frank Sinatra made famous? I did it my way. Well, that's, that's the song of the age, isn't it? That's what everybody wants to do. I want to do it my way. And he was no different. He wanted to do it his way. Now, you know, some have said in this, well, the problem actually isn't the offering, that actually you could have brought an offering, a grain offering to the Lord, so it's not the fact that there is no blood offering. I'm not sure I, I see that. There's other portions in here, I think, that tell us different. But, and they say the problem actually is the offerer. Well, that definitely is true. There is a problem with the offerer. He has a problem against God. It's called unbelief. That's what keeps everyone from reaching out and grabbing hold of what God offers. It's unbelief. I'm not sure God really says it or really believes it. Or, you know, like if you said to someone, you know what, in a few moments a bus is going to come by and is going to take you out of this planet and you're going to die if you somehow knew that. Well, if they really believed you, what would they do? Unless they're wanting to die, they're going to move out of the way. And yet you tell someone that they're going to die and they just don't believe it. They just don't. They look at it and they, they maybe intellectually go, yeah, you're right. You know, I, I, we were out the other night there at the car show and so many people, I say, you know, every one of us is going to die, right? Oh, yeah, we're all going to die. Are you prepared for death? Oh, yeah, I said, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, the, the moment you start going, well, it tells me you're not prepared. I mean, you don't go to an exam, you know, these were young teenage guys. I said, you don't go to an exam and, and just try and wing it, do you? And one of them said, well, I do. And I said, yeah, you probably do really good, don't you? He's, and his friends started laughing. He said, yeah, he barely gets by, right? And I said, but it doesn't even work that way with God, does it? 
It's not something you can just wing. So he had his own ideas regarding how to please a holy God. I mean, you've probably experienced that where people say, well, I'm going to do it my way. Just last week, I was knocking on a door. I said to him, I was trying to share with him about the Lord. I said, here's a thing. He says, what's this about? I go, well, basically, I said, it's a little poster there that tells you a verse from the Bible and really tells you how you can know for sure how to get to heaven. Oh, no, no. And so then he was starting to kind of close the door. And I said, oh, you don't want to go to heaven? That's usually a good thing to say, see, because usually people actually do want to go. They just think that you're not going the right way is what they think, right? And so his answer was, well, yeah, I'm not going. I'm not going your way, though. And I said, well, I didn't even tell you my way. I said, actually, it's just God's way. I mean, whose heaven is it? It's God's, isn't it? So if you don't go his way, are you going to get in? I mean, I'm not sure about you. If, if you come over to my house and you start climbing in through the window thinking, well, you know, that's a good place of getting in, I'm probably not going to be too impressed. And you know what? Most people think they can somehow get in whatever way they want. You know, um, they just say, well, you know, I know you say that, God, but uh, I'm going to do it my own way. You know, someone asked me, they said, well, how many religions are there in the world? There's thousands. I said, well, actually, there's only two. The guy looked at me, wait a minute, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons, you weirdos. And, you know, and he started listing a bunch of things. And I said, well, actually, there is only two. And he said, you know, what do you mean there's only two? I just quoted five to you, you know. And I said, well, if you look at all religions, they all kind of say the same thing. Even the religion that you believe which is really that you don't believe. It's a religion, right? It's choosing not to believe. I said, but they all sort of say this, because your hope in the end is if there is a God, by living a good life, you'll eventually be able to go to be with God. In other words, it's based on your performance, what you do. And I said, you start looking at all the religions. That's what they say. Follow our rule book. Do this, do this, do this, and you probably get in. Probably. You notice the probably is there. Have you ever been to, for instance, a Catholic uh, funeral? They start the person off in heaven, and before it's done, he's back in hell, and you've got to pray him out of there. And, you know, I know it's, we kind of laugh at that, but that's what religion is. It can't give you any hope. The only hope is, well, hopefully. That sounds pretty hopeless to me. You know, in Isaiah 55, verses 7 to 9, this is what God says. He says, Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to Jehovah and he will have mercy on him and to our God. For he will abundantly pardon. He says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says Jehovah. As far as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts uh, higher than your thoughts. How much higher are God's ways? But, you know, man sort of thinks, well, never mind what God says. I can still do it my way. They really think that, you know, as you talk to them, you go, somehow you're going to get in. No one else. You know, the Bible says very clearly, Jesus said, you know, we heard somebody quoted earlier. I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. I mean, that's sort of a final statement. That's what he says. And yet you think you're going to somehow go a different way or that you can please God basically like Cain on your own terms, right? In um, 
1 Samuel 15:22. You remember, this is the story where King Saul was supposed to wipe out the Amalekites, and he decides to keep all the best. And of course, uh, for himself, really. But you know, when he gets challenged by Samuel, he says, "Oh well, we kept the best for God to sacrifice," which is probably a bit of a lie, I think. But, you know, Samuel responds with this. He says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To listen is better than the fat of ram. And so what we see here is Cain brings a sacrifice. It's the wrong kind of sacrifice. Now, I want you to think, the reason I read part of what happened in chapter 3, imagine you're there. Over there, what do you see? Well, there's those cherubim. Oh, yeah. Hey, come on, let's see you go up there. You challenge them, you know. <laughs> I, don't th- I think you'd probably be looking at a distance thinking, whoa, that flaming sword looks pretty powerful to me. Do you think that mom and dad would have told them a little bit about what happened? I mean, come on. It probably would have been the supper meal. That's what would happen every day. And especially the fact that Cain was going to be the Messiah, probably in her eyes. Now you know God's holy. Do you see what happened? You see how horrible it was? Remember? You know, uh, I remember saying to uh, kids, you know, you read down in verse 21, and unto Adam also unto his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. I said, where do you think they got them? Walmart? You know, like... <laughs> How did they get those coats of skins? Where did they come from? Well, they said, well, animal. I said, well, what happens to the animal when you take his coat of skin off him? It's not a pleasant thought, is it? It's a horrible thing. It would have been a terrible thing. They would have said the devastation from sin, we're out. There's paradise there and we've been put out. Now, I, I can't fathom the thought that he wouldn't have been instructed daily on this idea. And yet, what does he do? Well, he does exactly what they did. Do you remember what what happened there Um, within the fall? Did God really say this? I don't know how it came about, but obviously it was enough that Eve started to doubt the Word of God. And it's unbelief. That's where it starts. It starts in unbelief. And this is really what happened with Cain. I know it really says that. You know, without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. The very fact that this... Um, when you approach God that He is holy and you have to come a certain way to God. And yet He says, I'm going to do it my own way. Now, you know, there's different thoughts. Why wouldn't He have just done that? Well, pride. But where does pride come from? It comes from unbelief, which stems from the fact that I don't believe what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. And He's just going to have to accept it the way it is. And it's all self-centeredness, isn't it? That's all he thinks about as you start reading this passage is about himself. The whole thing is on him. And so we see that his offering is rejected. Now let's go in here and look verse 5. It says, uh, of course, he brings the fruit of the ground and offering to the Lord. And Abel, he also brings the first things of the flock and the fat thereof. In other words, the very best for God. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering, but unto Cain and his offering he had not respect. And it says, And Cain was very angry. You can almost see him just seething, right? 
And it says so much so, it says his, his whole face was contorted, right? He just, oh. And what's the worst thing that can happen when you're full of anger? Well, I mean, if you're rejected and someone else isn't, you're thinking, well, I'm glad you're happy. That's good that everything went well. I'm glad you got the promotion in the job over me. I really am thankful for that, right? I mean, you know, you know how it is when someone gets praised and in the meantime you get dumped on, how would that make you feel? You'd probably be just like Cain, wouldn't you? You're ready to kill him or kill her. And sometimes people look at this and they go, well, I don't know, I, I, I could never do that. Well, in Ecclesiastes it says this, Do not be hasty in your spirit to be angry, for anger rests in the bosom of fools. Anger just overwhelms, doesn't it? Before you know it, you're doing things you never thought you could do. It just takes over. Um, I remember in Ireland, we bought this little place in the country, and um, we had a fairly large yard, so we thought, well, hey, we'll... we'll build a garden here because I had a farm before that I thought hey I, I can do something here and I thought well what am I going to grow well I'm in Ireland what do you grow in Ireland you grow potatoes right so <laughs> of course all right I'm going to grow potatoes and so I had this huge field and I planted all these potatoes and you know I didn't even have to water them because in Ireland it rains all the time anyway so you kind of look and I thought I wonder how this will go well you know what before you knew it they started to grow and they started to grow. And I mean, I, this was like the land of Goshen. These were the biggest potato plants I had ever seen in my life, man. They were just monstrous, you know. I felt like Cain here. I was the great farmer, you know. And, uh, of course, as I'm looking at them, they're like, you know, the neighbors there, whoa, those plants are there really going great. You know, I said, yeah, yeah, they're pretty good, aren't they? <laughs> Canadian, you know. <laughs> Show you guys how to farm here, you know. And so then uh, he know he said, "Hey, uh, what's that on there? Is that it looks like uh, a little brownish thing there? Is that like blight?" And I said, "Oh yeah, yeah, it's got a little thing on there. Yeah, no worries." <laughs> well, the next day I noticed quite a few plants had it. Two days later, they were all dead, all the plants. All my beautiful, actually one survived, but all these beautiful plants. You see, the way potatoes grow, I'm not sure if you're familiar, but the plant grows up, and just before it flowers and becomes flower, that's where it puts out all the energy to make potatoes. But up until that, most of it goes into the plant. And so right at the peak, when they're supposed to now produce everything, they all died. They all died, and I was a little bit choked about all this all my hard work but I thought you know this is such a picture of sin I've just got here unchecked sin within right you don't do anything about it you start justifying it well that's because he did that she did that I deserve that I, you know they don't know the situation and so this unchecked sin you know it's wrong but you just say and I'm not saying you have to make it right with a person even. You have to make it right, though, at least with the Lord, right? You have to say to the Lord, yeah, I did that's wrong. And so unchecked sin within leads to devastation without. This is what happened in the case of Cain. He just didn't. Now, look at the Lord, how gracious he is here. 
The Lord said to him, Why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? And then he says this. He says, If you do well... In other words... Um, Here's what I wrote. I said, if you did what I asked you to do, of course you'd be accepted. Of course. I want to accept you. I want the very best for you, right? But now I can see you're bound up in your unbelief and anger, which stems from your own self-righteousness. In other words here, you decided my word wasn't enough. You had to do it your own way. And I must warn you now that this is going to lead you into a greater sin. Now the sad thing is what? He doesn't do anything about it. He doesn't heed the warning that's given to him from God. And so what follows? Well, we see he ends up, he, you know, it says Cain talked with his Abel, his brother, and it came to pass when they were in the field, and maybe he called him over. Hey, got something for you. And he kills his brother, his own brother. I mean, it's sad, isn't it? I mean, would you think that you could ever do that? Well, as you're thinking about that, I've already sort of said that. Isn't it not possible for you to do that? How many of you, honestly, have said in your own heart, oh, you know, you don't say it out loud. Thinking about husbands with wives or wives with husbands. I'd like to kill him. I'd like to kill her. I mean, you know, never would do it. Right? Or you have children. You know, as, as one guy said with a little boy, you know, who, who did something wrong, sit down, sit down. And he says, I'm sitting down, but I'm standing up inside. Right? And aren't we like that? We're just like that. We don't heed this warning. Well, some say, you know, ah, well, I, don't, I just don't see I could, how I could ever do that. Well, I think we could all be guilty of murder if the situation was right or the circumstances was right. A friend of mine back in Canada, I'll just tell you his story. Now, he lived next door to this guy, and this guy was just like, like he says, a person that came right out of hell. Every day or any time he would see him, he would say something nasty to him or would uh, uh, insult his family or threaten his kids and his wife. This happened all the time. He went to the police, he tried doing things about it, and they wouldn't do anything. Now, personally with him, he was away from the Lord as well. And then all of a sudden, he just one day he lost it, and when this guy came home, he came outside with a shotgun, and he shot him three times, point blank. Now, this guy's a Christian. Is it possible? <laughs> it's possible. You can be that far away from the Lord and... Start thinking about everything else. Now, what did he? What he did was totally wrong. But it's possible we can do that, right? And it's the idea here of just not surrendering our will to the Lord. And this is what happens with anger: how it eats us up. Now, the Lord Jesus tells us about our hearts, right? He says in Matthew 15, He says, "But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder." Adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. It's a heart issue. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. That's what our hearts are like. You know, sometimes you say, oh, he's got a good heart. <laughs> Not according to the Bible, it says he's got a rotten heart. Right? This is how God sees us. Now, at the end of this, in verse 9... 
the Lord speaks to Cain again. And what does he say here? He says, where is Abel your brother? Now I want you to think for a moment. Did somehow the Lord not know where he was? <laughs> I mean, when he said to Adam, Adam, hey Adam, where are you? Like he just, I don't know, he lost him for a while there, right? I mean, you know, the garden was fairly big. He couldn't see him. Well, no, of course he knows. So why is he doing it? What's he looking to get from this? What's he hoping? I mean, you know, as a, a parent, sometimes that may happen. You're in the other room and uh, your kid, uh, you know, you've told him, don't touch that uh, thing there that belongs to my mother. Don't ever touch it because if you touch it, it might break. And sure enough, you hear, oh, no, and you put it all up there. And, and of course, you know exactly what's happening. You walk in there and you go, hi, how are things going? Oh, good, good. Yeah. Anything new? Uh, no, 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 the TV's on. Yeah, yeah. What are you hoping to do? You're hoping that your child's going to break down and say, look, you know, I did what you told me not to do. I did it. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? This is the plea from the Lord, right? I mean, he does this again and again. He, he, his desire is that we be saved. He goes, how, you know, how far can you go that God hasn't gone? I mean, he offers himself as payment for your sin. You can't get any deeper than that. Well, in here, what's he say? He says, where is Abel, your brother? Look at the response from Cain. <laughs> he comes back and he says what? The very first thing he says, I don't know. So first of all, he lies. And then he says this, this famous line here, Am I my brother's keeper? Now the word for that really is a shepherd. Am I the shepherd? See, his brother was a shepherd, and he's almost like he mocks God. I mean, to me, it's just the audacity of man, right? We heard that. Uh, it was it Aaron that was speaking about how man, he was talking about creation and um, evolution, how man wants to get God out of the picture. And so he kind of says that... Uh, Yes, that's true. We did come out of the dust of the ground. But God didn't do it. It just sort of happened. You know, like, but that's the heart of man, to get rid of God. Push Him out. Have nothing to do with God. Now, you would have hoped here that you would have saw some inkling of Cain to, uh, you know, say, I'm sorry. I'm really sorry for what I've done. But you don't see any of that. Well, you know, this other thought here as well is the fact that he says, am I my brother's keeper? You know, am I, am I responsible for what he does? You know, I'm not responsible for him. Well, are we? Well, I remember years ago I was in Limerick, Ireland, and there was some uh, Baha'is. I don't know if you're familiar with that religion. But, you know, they've got this sort of religion that everything's okay. You just sort of live your life and you live this great life and everything sort of works. It's all about karma and so on. And as they were talking, there was a group of them there. Uh, they were trying to get some new converts. So they had about four people. And I said, look, look, let me, uh, let me ask you a question. From, am I getting it straight here, what you're saying? And he says, what, what do you mean? He said, basically, you're saying you just you know, allow the person to do whatever they're going to do, regardless. I said, right. I said, really? So I said, you see that building over there? Six stories? Yeah. I said, so you're in there one day, and a guy's having a bad day. And you walk by and he's about to jump. And you're telling me you let him jump. 
Now, he was already in a corner, the guy. He didn't know. He was going to sort of say, well, no, but he'd already said yes. And so he said, well, yes. I said, give your head a shake. Actually, all the people left at this point, and they said, oh, I don't want that religion. I said, you've got to give your head a shake. I mean, the guy's having a bad day. You know, he woke up on the wrong side of the bed. I mean, you don't. You have to be. You know, when I think of this idea of if you have an opportunity, you have to do that, which is right. Just so sad. Well, I see we're out of time here already. Clock's going quicker than I thought. You know, so often people are like this, um, though, with this thought about God. I remember uh, we were doing doors in, in Ireland, my wife and I, and this, you know, we started talking to this guy. He was actually somewhat of a nice guy, invites us in. And he said, no, I don't believe in God at all. And he said, let me tell you. He says, if God's real, I'm going to tell him a thing or two. That's what he said. I said, you are an idiot, man. I can't believe it, you know. And we're sitting there, my wife and I are just like, and this guy, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell him. I said, just think of what you're saying. The one who formed you, you're going to shake your fist at him. And you think, well, do people actually do that? They do that all the time, don't they? The moment they say, they turn their back on the Word of God and they say, you know what? I know what it says, but I'm not going to do what it says because I just don't believe it. They're doing the exact same thing as that. You know, um, uh, uh, Daniel um, Webster there has asked me to download some of these debates for him, you know, Christian debates versus an atheist and so on. And I was looking at a few of these and it reminded of uh, a sign that they put out, some of the atheists. And this is what they did with this sign is they put it on the buses, and let me just see here if I can find it in my notes. Um, oh, here it is. It says, um, this is what it said. They put out these all over the UK. Now, I think the idea was they couldn't put what they really wanted to put on there, the fact that there is no God, but this is what they said. Don't we, I uh, said, um, there's probably is no God, so stop worrying, enjoy your life. Isn't that, you know, again, the audacity of man to wave it in God's face and say, I'm going to do it my way. And, you know, as you look at Cain's story, of course, it goes on from there. We don't have time because we're out of time. But you see, he leaves the presence of God, which is very sad, isn't it? But he does that willfully. He chooses, really. I mean, you say God sent him out, but God gave him more than enough opportunity to turn back to him, didn't he? And you know what? What's he do? Well, he decides he builds a city, doesn't he? Everything seems to go good. And this is the way the world is. They can do it all. We can do it all without God. And you know what? God is so gracious, so loving, so good that he allows that. He will allow you to shake your fist. Like, what would you do? I'd say, stop the end of that guy. Don't want to hear any more from him. That girl, enough of her. That's what I would do. But that's not God. Aren't you glad I'm not God? You know? What does he do? He says, okay, slap me again. Uh, it's okay. I love you. I'm trying to prove my love for you. I, I, I'm showing you how much I love you. And doesn't he say at the end, this is why, that he said, you know, if you have to stand before him, and he says, you've actually trampled underfoot the Son of God. That's what you've actually done. You said, I don't want anything to do with Him at all. I'm going to do it my way. 
Christopher Hitchens, you know, just uh, he went through his whole life as an atheist and, uh, you know, and people were praying for this poor guy. But the same thing, you know, all the way up to his death, he just entered in this shaking his fist at God. I'm going to stare death in the face. It's just so sad. But I hope today you're, uh, everything is good with you, that you um, haven't gone the way of Cain in this sense, that you're, you haven't turned your back on what the Word of God says, that you have actually believe it and follow it and trust it. Let's just uh, close with a word of prayer. Lord, we do just uh, thank you so much for your goodness and your love to us. And uh, Lord, help us to be able to tell this to others. Lord, to be able to do it in the power and strength of you. They might see um, our good works and glorify you in heaven for doing it. We just pray this in Jesus' name.